What V.E. Schwab does from the jump is masterful pacing, really great tension building. You can see from the synopsis that the setup in and of itself, the setup could be an entire novel, but it's really not what is at the meat of this story. And that's what I think takes a good author to a great author, is that your most incredible idea is really only about a tenth of your book. And what you're writing about is what happens next. Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandevin. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. Hello, hi, and welcome to Medium Lady Talks, episode 56. This is a review of some of the books that I want to recommend to you after reading through fall and winter of 2022. This will also be the last episode of season two, and I want to first take a moment to sincerely thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening along during season two. It has been a real learning curve for me this second year to learn how to build momentum and learn how to really ground down into my voice and to build out the meaningful content that speaks to you and that speaks to me and creates synergy in our community. The Medium Lady Talks community is very, very special. It's about people who are really wholeheartedly trying to navigate their way to a place in the world that is made for them. And all of the things that I talk about here get us there in one way or another. They have gotten me closer and closer to the place in the world that is made for me. I would say I spend my time in that space maybe 70% of the time, so it's not it's not a perfect habitation of that space, but by being able to have this opportunity to share with you what that's like and to hear from you about what that's been like for you has meant the world to me and has absolutely fulfilled my intentions for beginning this podcast in the first place. Why would a podcast about building the place in the world that's made for you talk so much about books? Well, that's for two reasons. The first reason is that I love reading books. Books is a way for me to take care of myself, amassing books, thinking about books, plotting what I'm going to read next, and reviewing what I already have read, and navigating my way closer and closer to picking up a book that I will love more often than not, and feeling with more certainty that I know the kinds of books that are for me, and I know the kinds of books that are not for me. The second thing is about input. When you are trying to navigate your way to a place in the world that is only for you, reading can be a really useful exercise. Reading can take the pressure off of knowing with certainty in yourself how that place should look and feel. And by reading both fiction, nonfiction, memoir, personal development, you can get yourself to evaluate and tinker with how it feels to be reading that kind of input. How does it feel to be reading a story of someone who goes on adventure to amazing places? How does it feel for you to read about personal development regarding time management? How does it feel for you to read the memoir of somebody who doesn't have a life like yours at all? And to use those feelings to uncover your beliefs and to evaluate your values 
are all part of creating the foundation for that place in the world. And I just have really found personally that books have helped me uncover those building blocks in a way that has been enjoyable, painless, exciting, curious, and has demonstrated to me that I can very much find uh, the answers to the questions that are sometimes very, very hard to answer. Navigating your way to the place in the world that's made for you is about answering the question, who am I? And that's an extremely daunting question. It's in some ways the work of our lives. But reading allows us temporary portals into the who am I question by answering the question, who are you? Or who is the person I'm reading about? What are they feeling and what are they experiencing? And how does that align or contrast with my own lived experience? And so I really think that reading is absolutely the very first step in the journey of figuring out the place in the world that's made for you. I hope to uncover more of that. I hope to make that experience more practical for listeners through season three, both through my own value add as a subject matter expert in this kind of work and in my collaborations through season three. So all that being said, if you would love to suggest a collaboration for next year, I would love to hear it. You can DM me on Instagram at medium.lady and connect with me and let me know what you would like to see for season three, what you would like to see for content, for collaborations, and for community next year. The podcast will take a brief hiatus through the month of January, and season three will kickstart in February of 2023. I'm really looking forward to that. I already have a number of episodes on the books, and I'm hoping to dive into an opportunity to build community outside of the podcast through uh, an experience in the spring. And so that'll, you'll have to stay tuned for that. With no further ado, I am definitely going to dive into the meat of this episode, which is three books I loved, three books I liked, one book that was a bit of a bummer for me, and finally a wild card book. This is somewhat similar to my summer readings episode, except my summer readings episode was one book I'm obsessed with. And this book will also be in a book that I'm obsessed with, but it is very much a wild card. And actually, I think I procrastinated on recording this episode because I knew that I would want to include this book in the episode and I had to finish it. So I finished it this morning. You're going to have to stay tuned through the episode to find out what that book is. But let's dive into the three books that I loved. The first book that I loved is This Is How It Always Is by Laurie Frankel. This book is considered a modern contemporary family story, contemporary literature, and describes the experience of one very nuclear family uh, and their experience with their one of their children having a very modern day experience. Here's a bit of the Goodreads synopsis. This is how a family keeps a secret and how that secret ends up keeping them. This is how a family lives happily ever after until happily ever after becomes complicated. This is how children change and then change the world. This is Claude. He's five years old, the youngest of five brothers, and loves peanut butter sandwiches. He also loves wearing a dress and dreams of being a princess. When he grows up, Claude says, he wants to be a girl. And the synopsis continues from there. I read this book while I was on a work trip and I was really missing my family. And so I can't help but wonder if some of that experience is very much connected to this book, which is about five boys um, and their parents 
There are really unique descriptions of the parents as individual people, and there are really unique descriptions of the kids. I have had in my repertoire a couple of books that have really tickled my fancy and gotten five stars for me because of how they've written children. There's two that come to mind. The first is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Kylie Reed absolutely captures the voice of toddlers in a really beautiful and eye-opening way that brings a lot of levity and humor to difficult subject matter. The other one is The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune, which is about magical children, but children nevertheless. He writes sort of about the 11 and under age range and absolutely captivating uh, and magical. I don't know if this is because I'm a parent that I really love when children are written well and when children are written in a way that they are safe, that they are providing uh, an alternate point of view of the happenings around them and that they are not sort of vicariously experiencing any kind of trauma. When kids are vicariously experiencing trauma or actually experiencing trauma, those are books that I really need to start passing on in 2023. I read a book that unsettled me a little bit, and I sort of knew it was going to unsettle me. It was an excellent book. That was an unthinkable thing. Uh, I think that's in episode 44 of the podcast. An excellent book, but really unsettled me because of the child protagonist in that book. These books that I'm talking about are about children who are being cared for, being looked out for by the adults in their lives. The themes of this book include family, transition, gender identity. I cannot remember um, how I got this book on my TBR. I think it's one of those books that everyone loves. And so you hear about it through one email list or one bookstagram post, and it ended up on my holds list. And then by the time it arrived at the library, I'd forgotten the source material for the recommendation. That's another maybe book uh, resolution that I have for next year. Well, those two book resolutions in one. So the first one is to read less books where the point of view of the child is experiencing trauma through this narrative of the story. Resolution number two is to pay more attention when I put a book on hold from the library, why and how I came about that recommendation. Um, and that's, you know, also going to give me more information in 2023 about the sources of recommendations that are really working for me. This book helped me, you know, really kind of enjoy that genre of, you know, I guess we'll call it precocious children and adults doing their best. Uh, that's the short version of the books that I love to lean into. A lot of this book is very frank and honest about what it is to raise kids while also capturing the heartache of parenting. And the title, This Is How It Always Is, speaks to both the uniqueness of this family's experience with their youngest child who wants to be a girl and the global experience of parents who encounter some kind of challenge or heartache no matter what as a parent. Um, there was a really good bit of tension that builds through the book, which also made it a little bit unnerving at times and really was a very relatable experience as a parent. You often feel like you're caught flat-footed or you're caught uninformed or you're caught unprepared as a parent. And sometimes that's because you just can't control the future. And sometimes it's because that's the nature of your children as they evolve and become their own unique force in the world. You just can't prepare for everything. And that is how it always is. I really loved the mother character and the father character. They were very flawed as parents, but flawed in a way, again, that was extremely relatable in that 
you are always, you know, not you, but in that they, one of them is really avoiding something and the other one is leaning into it. And neither of them is actually making the right choice. And I like that too, because parenting is a very non-binary experience. We are pressured to believe that there is a right and a wrong way to parent, but there really isn't. And there is a middle ground for so much of it. I think that that is in one of the ways why I've created content on Medium Lady is there is no zero and there is no 10. There's always somewhere, something in between that is neither right nor wrong. It's just the way it is for you and for your family or for you and for your life. That has been that middle ground that I know is relatable to so many of us out there and so many of us who are trying to navigate to being good enough. Uh, Good enough parenting has been a interesting phenomenon to study in, you know, psychology literature and uh, the social sciences for years and years and years and has extended itself to many other professions and disciplines. I think that This Is How It Always Is by Laurie Frankel is a really nice contemporary examination of what it takes to be a good enough parent in contemporary society and dealing with raising your children in the context of contemporary issues and change. That is one of my first loves for this episode. It's This Is How It Always Is by Laurie Frankel. I think it's a must read if you like books about families, if you like books that are about people not people who aren't perfect but who are trying their best, uh, you'll really enjoy this book. My next love to- takes a total departure from this, and this is actually an author that I've discovered I absolutely love, but I'll focus on one of her books, and that's the book Vicious by V.E. Schwab. Vicious is fantasy fiction. It focuses on themes of superheroes, villains, good versus evil, what makes someone good or evil. I discovered this book through the Currently Reading podcast. It was a listener recommendation episode. I love the Currently Reading podcast. It's extremely inspiring. They seem to endlessly captivate my imagination and invariably with every episode I come away with a book recommendation or two. I've had to start being a little bit more choosy about the books that I actually put on hold or not, but nevertheless, I I really love that podcast. And if you really like book podcasts, or if you like this podcast, you'll definitely like the currently reading podcast. Uh, Vicious, I think, is V.E. Schwab's first book. And if you've read The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, which I actually haven't read, that was a book that came out in 2020. It's got amazing ratings and reviews on Goodreads. It's an extremely popular book. But Vicious, uh, for a debut novel, I thought was really magnificent. Here's the Goodreads synopsis. Vicious is a masterful tale of ambition, jealousy, desire, and superpowers. Victor and Eli started out as college roommates, brilliant, arrogant, lonely boys who recognized the same sharpness and ambition in each other. In their senior year, a shared research interest in adrenaline, near-death experiences, and seemingly supernatural events reveals an intriguing possibility that under the right conditions, someone could develop extraordinary abilities. But when their thesis moves from the academic to the experimental, things go horribly wrong. This book is excellent. It is it is so, so good. Fantastic character development between Victor and Eli. Really superb supporting cast of characters. What V.E. Schwab does from the jump is masterful pacing. Really great tension building. You can see from the synopsis that the setup 
in and of itself, the setup could be an entire novel, but it's really not what is at the meat of this story. And that's what I think takes a good author to a great author, is that your most incredible idea is really only about a tenth of your book. And what you're writing about is what happens next, is what happens after that. What would happen if we found an experimental way to give people supernatural abilities? What would happen after that? Not, not, and then they had supernatural abilities, the end, you know? I truly, really did not know what was going to happen next in this book, which I loved. And I really think that it also hit the sweet spot of alternative superhero stories. I'm not really a major superhero fan, but I had also read a book earlier this year called Hench. And I think I had put that in my Medium Lady Recommends episode. <laughs> I think that might have been episode 38, where it was sort of about the anti-hero or a little bit more than your Avengers hero. You know, these people are really complicated and complex. They're really trying to be more. It's not just the quest for complete and total world domination that drives the storyline. Both of the characters have really interesting back plot lines. They do really weird and curious things as people in the world, both before and after they acquire supernatural powers. And they encounter others by way of the plot line meandering along. And, and those other characters are both scary, spooky, lovable, and, and really hit all of the quadrants of a cast of supporting characters. I will say, for one thing, this book is not very diverse. Um, the main characters are, I believe, two cis white men. And that's, you know, one flaw in the direction of this book. However, I think that as a starting off point for the rest of V.E. Schwab's career, it's really, really excellent. I think that there are wonderful lines. And actually, Laurie Frankel has this too, where there are some paragraphs that just hit you in the gut. Um, you know, there, there's one line, it says, plenty of humans are monstrous and plenty of monsters knew how to play at being human. Um, little lines like that that just are completely captivating and underline the entire thesis of the novel. I really loved it. The other book that I loved by V.E. Schwab that I read this fall was called A Darker Shade of Magic. That is a very different story from the vicious plotline. However, it was also excellent. It was also fast-paced. It also had amazing character development. And I was just thoroughly impressed that one author could build two different worlds that were at the same time captivating, complex, magical, and something I had not really ever read before. Uh, both storylines were, were things that I had never you know, they were not tropes. These are very, very new ideas to the genre of fantasy fiction. And I found that extremely impressive. If you've read The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue uh, and you loved it, let me know because I probably need to put more V.E. Schwab on my uh, reading list for next year. And we'll call that book resolution number three. I'm going to add more V.E. Schwab um, to my TBR pile. The last book I'm going to say as one of my medium lady loves is Girl, Woman, Other by Bernardine Evaristo. This is literary fiction. I know many people have already read this. It was the winner of the Man Booker Prize in 2019. 
And this book came across my path as I had done a 12 books from 12 friends list. And I will be doing that on Instagram in the coming days after this episode goes live. So if you want to recommend a book for me for next year, please make sure you're following me on Instagram at medium.lady and you can drop your recommendation in. Uh, It'll probably be something I announce on stories in the next day or two. So this was from my 2022 uh, 12 Books and 12 Friends challenge or recommendation, I guess. And this was from a friend that actually I kept passing it over for other books. But eventually I realized that I was trying to wrap up the challenge and trying to read as many of those books that were hanging on as possible in the month of November. And I ended up starting Girl, Woman, Other uh, on paper. And I quickly realized that I was missing a crucial element of this novel, which is voice. And so I found it via audiobook, read by an incredible narrator, and I thoroughly was swept away. This book was completely absorbing, completely captivating. Here is a brief summary. Teeming with life and crackling with energy, a love song to modern Britain and Black womanhood, Girl, Woman, Other follows the lives and struggles of 12 very different characters. Mostly women, Black and British, they tell the stories of their families, friends, and lovers across the country and through the years. Joyfully polyphonic and vibrantly contemporary, this is a gloriously new kind of history, a novel of our times, celebratory, ever dynamic, and utterly resistible. Wow, what a great summary. I couldn't agree more. I absolutely was completely captivated by this book. I would say the themes are around women, relationships, there is an LGBTQIA line into it, the the lived experience of Black women, and I really would say it's just a fantastic series of connected short stories, mostly character studies. And I have spent a lot of time carefully selecting books that have helped me learn more about the varied experiences of Black women, but this book delivered so much more than what I expected. I really learned just as much from this novel as I would have learned from a nonfiction or a memoir. And I think that's because of the intersection that Bernadine Evaristo blends in with those 12 characters, is that not one singular voice is speaking for the experience of Black women. And it's many, many Black women um, from the UK, from Africa, from the Caribbean, women who are girls, women who are older, um, always other, always other. The the experience of being an other really strikes the reader for all of the 12 characters. Um, and, and they experience aggressions and microaggressions completely through the story. I think that if I had not been on this personal journey, as many people have been, to read in a more diverse way and to select books with more purpose, if I hadn't been as far along on the journey as I have been, I might have missed a lot of the subtleties of this book, but uh, I'm I'm tremendously grateful to the person who recommended it to me, and I'm very grateful for the audiobook version of it. I absolutely loved it. All of the characters are inspiring and imperfect at the same time, and I think that maybe that's actually been a theme of the three books that I've loved this fall and winter, is really wonderful character development, complex, rich, nuanced people who are striving to be better, but also flawed and and imperfect. Um, That's the theme across all three of these books that I loved. I do think that I would not have enjoyed this book as much um, if it had not been for the audiobook. 
the audiobook version I read was by Anna Maria Nabire, and she was just magnificent. It was a really stellar, stellar reading. That is Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. If you like short stories, you like literary fiction, you like reading diverse narratives, you like intersectionality and the experience of Black women, I, I think you've probably already read this book. And if you haven't, you will absolutely love it. Okay, let's pivot and talk about two books that I liked. And why would I talk about two books that I liked but didn't love? I think that that also helps me get closer to picking up more books that I love and also helps me share books with you that perhaps weren't a hit for me but might be a hit for you. And it helps me cover a broader range of recommendations. The first book I'm going to recommend is nonfiction. It's called Don't Overthink It by Anne Bogle. This book is personal development. It centers around themes of overthinking, anxiety, and mindful living. Uh, in November, I, <laughs> I experienced a bit of like personal crisis that was probably created of my own internal mind. And that really motivated me to take on a big project. Um, I love to start things. I'm really hot out of the gate. I've said this before on the podcast. And I felt like November was the month when I was going to really start to write a novel or start to write a book. And so I signed up for something called The Book Genius, which is hosted by Jane Allen, who is an author who's actually been interviewed on the podcast. It's episode 24. And during that writing seminar, Jane Allen recommended reading Don't Overthink It by Ann Bogle. And so I was considering writing a nonfiction book. And so I pulled Don't Overthink It from the library. This book is engaging and thoughtful. It's very evenly paced. It gives exactly the right amount of digestible chapters to make you feel really in control of your choice to not overthink things. Here's a bit of the Goodreads synopsis. We've all been there, stuck in the cycle of what-ifs, plagued by indecision, paralyzed by the fear of getting it wrong. Nobody wants to live a life of constant overthinking, but it doesn't feel like something we can choose to stop doing. It feels like something we're wired to do, something we just can't escape. But is it? Anne Bogle's answer is no. Not only can you overcome negative thought patterns that are repetitive, unhealthy, and unhelpful, you can replace them with positive thought patterns that will bring you more peace, joy, and love into your life. In Don't Overthink It, you'll find actionable strategies that can make immediate and lasting difference in how you deal with questions both big and small. The reason this book is a like and not a love is I think that I was left wanting just a little bit more. And these books, the, the, there are some cues at the end of each chapter, but I think they actually kind of left me mm, not feeling super inclined to dive deep. And I wonder if those prompts and questions had been just a little bit more thoughtful, there had been just a little bit more time spent on them, that I may have actually unlocked a little bit more. However, this book did set me on a really satisfying bend of non- fiction reading and personal development reading through the rest of the fall. I really especially liked the book's focus on decision making and minimalism as a way to provide comfort rather than, you know, taking on this sort of pathological point of view. Um, like, you know, if you're a minimalist, you can manage your anxiety. It was sort of, you know, if you reduce the amount of decisions you have to make in any given day, then you can really make your way through any day with, with less friction. And that's not necessarily going to cure your anxiety, <laughs> but I think it is going to um, probably leave you more bandwidth for finding joy, being mindful, finding presence in every given day. And that will help to manage your anxiety. 
I would recommend this book to anyone who loves The Lazy Genius, anyone who's listened to Kendra Ajachi uh, on, on her podcast or enjoyed her books. Anne Bogle has an incredible book podcast called What Should I Read Next? And it was really delightful to find that this amazing podcaster is also a really amazing author. The book is small and really efficient. It doesn't overdo it. And it did not start with the history of overthinking. And like sometimes these nonfiction personal development books start by explaining in a really academic and dry way why you should agree to not overthink it, that overthinking is causing you struggle and pain. And I think that if you've picked up a book called Don't Overthink It, then you already have bought into the thesis and you don't need those first few dry chapters convincing you that the problem is a problem. You've already made that agreement. And Anne Bogle doesn't do that, which I really appreciated. She gets right into the heart of her own experience, the people that she's met, the experts that have given her helpful ways to manage and combat her own overthinking. I do just kind of wish there was a little bit more of a call to action a little bit more actionable advice at the end of every chapter. And I, I did feel that the journal prompts were somewhat thin. But I think that if you overall, I am also not much of a journaler. And that's my other book resolution. Is that book resolution number five? <laughs> Four or five? Um, is to journal more when I read nonfiction, especially. I have sincerely loved my Reading Life, which is a book journal also created by Anne Bogle, and I have been able to categorize and write down my thoughts about books over the year, and I think that that experience of journaling has been really fruitful and rewarding, and so I will try to find more time to journal alongside my nonfiction reading. I did find for a while that that journaling experience was actually pushing me to perfectionism a little too much, and I was always trying to find the perfect time to read and journal at the same time. And I found that by ab abandoning the journal qualification that I was able to read more because I wasn't hung up on finding the perfect time to journal and read at the same time. But I think in 2023, I'll be able to creatively navigate that space a little bit more. And I would like to be doing more active journaling alongside my nonfiction reading. Okay, that was Don't Overthink It by Ann Bogle. The next book that I liked but didn't love was Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. This book was hard to miss in the summer. It was pretty much everywhere all over Instagram thanks to its really beautiful color-blocked cover of a woman and an octopus. And I think that just this cover alone has made the imagery of octopus become way more um, compelling and... Uh, and popular. I feel like the octopus is the new alpaca, but I, I don't know. If you think I'm wrong, you, you let me know. Remarkably Bright Creatures is contemporary fiction. It focuses on themes of magical animals, relationships, and lost and found storylines. As I said before, I had found that this book was recommended by audio on the Anne Bogle blog, again, the Modern Mrs. Darcy email. And I had hoped to read it on audio, but eventually I ran out of patience and the paperback copy came through my library. Overall, this book is really sweet, but it wasn't that compelling. The plot line is a little bit slow, and I think my expectations were probably too high. You know, it, it is a book. It, it is a nice book. It has a great story concept. And I really did love the main character, Tova, and of course, Marcellus the Octopus, but the third character of Cameron was, I found him to be 
you know, a, a little bit, um, a little bit lackluster and missing the nuance that I mentioned in the first three books that I loved, which was these characters who are lovable and flawed. I really felt like Shelby Van Pelt missed the opportunity to flesh out Cameron as that kind of character. He had a tremendously negative outlook on life and sometimes a really ungrateful nature to the many characters who extend him goodwill. But I've gotten a bit ahead of myself, so let me read the Goodreads synopsis. After Tova Sullivan's husband died, she began working the night shift at the Sowell Bay Aquarium, mopping floors and tidying up. Keeping busy has helped her cope, which she's been doing since her 18-year-old son Eric mysteriously vanished on a boat in Puget Sound over 30 years ago. Tova becomes acquainted with curmudgeonly Marcellus, a giant Pacific octopus living at the aquarium. Marcellus knows more than anyone can imagine, but wouldn't dream of lifting one of his eight arms for his human captors until he forms a remarkable friendship with Tova. Ever the detective, Marcellus deduces what happened the night Tova's son disappeared, and now Marcellus must use every trick in his old invertebrate body can muster to unearth the truth for her before it's too late. I think that the interesting thing about that synopsis is that everything in the synopsis I really enjoyed, but that doesn't include the range of the book. Like There are many other characters that are in this book. And I would say the book does not focus heavily enough on the relationship between Tova and Marcellus. Regardless, I think that if you like Frederick Bachman, in terms of contemporary fiction, you will really like this book. I read a number of books this year that had magical animals or magical beings in what otherwise was a contemporary modern world. And I found a lot of those books really charming and compelling. Um, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus is another great book. I, I think a lot about um, the animals in The One Animal, the Dog, although that is, that's a very magical book. Under the Whispering Door by T.J. Klune. And so magical animals overall have played a really enjoyable part of my reading in 2023. That being said, I like this book, but I did not love it. And I wonder if I should have potentially waited out for the audiobook copy because I um, am told that the person who narrates the voice of Marcellus was very captivating and that that brought a real enjoyment and texture to the book that otherwise was missing when I read it on paper. The next book is a book that I thought was a bummer, and I have already ranted a little bit about this book, but I'm going to talk further about it here. That is Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. Many people will list this as their favorite book, especially of last year. It was on pretty much every list you could imagine. I'm pretty sure Anthony Doerr is a Pulitzer-winning author, Cloud Cuckoo Land is time-bending literary fantasy, I think. You know, it has the themes of reading, libraries, books, multiple characters. I absolutely should have loved everything about Cloud Cuckoo Land. And I don't know if that's why it was such a bummer for me. Because even now, it's been a couple of months. I finished it on October 25th of this year. And it's well past Christmas. So two months ago, I finished this book. And even now, I can see that the disparate parts of it were wonderful and excellent, but the sum of its parts was so challenging for me and was a real, real letdown because the sum of its parts weighs it down in a way that, that with totality you step away feeling distracted and overwhelmed all at the same time. Here is a bit of the Goodreads synopsis. When everything is lost, it's our stories that survive. How do we weather the end of things? Cloud Cuckoo Land brings together an unforgettable cast of dreamers and outsiders from past, present, and future to offer a vision of survival against all odds. Constantinople 1453, Idaho 2020, 
and unknown sometime in the future. <laughs> so, so I think again, this is an this is an issue where the synopsis does a better job of knitting together the parts of the book to make a whole than the book actually does. I think overall, the last time I read Anthony Doerr, I couldn't finish the book. That was All the Light We Cannot See. And that may have been a sign that I should have never really read this book and I should have skipped it. However, in the last 50 pages or so, I was absolutely hooked to the outcome of the characters. The chapters are extremely short, which is something that also bummed me out because this book also has something I love when I've talked about through this entire episode, which is characters that are nuanced and flawed, but fascinating and, and all tr always trying to do their best. Nevertheless, no one is 100% good or 100% bad in this book. However, the chapters are so short that I wanted more time with my favorites and some of the characters I didn't enjoy as much. In particular, the Constantinople chapters I felt were a real drag. They did not add anything to the story or the momentum of the plotline. The supporting cast was really excellent. It did include many animals. Again, that's another theme of 2020. But again, this is just a, an issue where the, the book is better than the sum of it, it. The parts of it separately, the character development, the individual storylines, the nuance, the thread that carries them all together. All of those things are great, but together it's just a lot of noise. Now, you know that I love to read a dissenting opinion. So I'm here on Goodreads and I'm going to try and find, not try, I mean it will be very easy to find a five-star review of this book. Overall, this book has a 4.27 rating on Goodreads and that is over 130,000 ratings overall. Let's see if we can read this. Here's a review from Will. It's a five-star review. It's actually quite dense and very academic review of this book, which I, I think is great and I can really appreciate. There is a lot of meaty extras in this book. And if you really wanted to go down the rabbit hole for any one particular element or event, you definitely could. He also overlaps his review with an interview from Anthony Doerr, which I also appreciated. I did listen to an interview between him and Minnie Driver that I thought was excellent, and he was absolutely a really captivating and inspiring person. I am just sorry I didn't like his book. So he talks about the connections and convergences. There's the connections and convergences provide structure and core mystery of the book. How does the first century story find its way to the 15th century Constantinople, to the world of today, and to the future in which Constance live? How is it preserved? By whom and why? Asked about the spark for his focus on the preservation of literature, of culture, Doer said, I'm getting close to 50, and though I still feel and behave like a kid most of the time, my eyesight is fading. I can injure myself while sleeping. And my little kids are suddenly big hairy leg job working car driving high school kids. I'm realizing that everything, youth, hairlines, memories, civilization, fades. And the amazing technology that is a printed book seems to be one of the few human inventions that has outlived the whole human generation. What a privilege it is to open a book like the Iliad and summon tales that entertained people almost 3,000 years ago. That, I think, is a really wonderful thesis for this book. But I think in terms of entertainment, it gets really heavy. This is my opinion, not Will's review. <laughs> Let's get back to Will's review. I'm, I'm interjecting my own opinion. One of the things that most stuck with me was the portrayal of reading, particularly the reading of material to others, not only as an act of kindness, of affection, but also as a source of healing and certainly comfort. There are several times when characters read to other characters who are ill to positive effect. 
We are a species that relies on stories to make sense of our world and to inspire to spark imagination. The story of Athon inspires all the main characters to dream of more, to dream of better, and to dream beyond realistic possibility. Wow, that's wonderful. That is wonderful, Will. And you know what? I think if there's anything that I'm trying to achieve as well through reflecting on my own reading and by recommending reading as the first step navigating yourself to the place in the world that's made for you, it is exactly about that. It is the source of healing that can come from books, the source of comfort, the reliance on stories to make sense of our world, to make sense of our place of it, and to be inspired to spark imagination for what might come next. Wow, Will, wonderful review. And it's not changing my mind on the book, but it is perhaps changing my mind on what the book might have to offer after you read it. So if you like that kind of thing, or perhaps if you're uh, the kind of person who really likes to read for academic purposes, or you want a book to lead you down the rabbit hole, Cloud Cuckoo Land might be just the thing for you. Um, if you are, <laughs> these are the kind of books that make me think, man, I wish this book existed when I was in grade 12 English class, because I might have had the guidance of an English teacher to really get into this book. My sister-in-law, Katie, is an English teacher, and I would love to know if she has A, read this book, or B, has students who are reading this book, because I think it, it offers a lot for essay writing and, and contextualization and compartmentalization of some of the themes within the book. But that's not always why we're reading, right? That's not always why we're reading. Okay, I will link to Will's review in the show notes if you want to read more of it. It's really, um, really lovely, very well written. Okay, with that being said, I am going to talk about a book that I'm, um, it's a total wild card. This, this book is an incredible wild card. So we had three loves, two likes, one bummer, and this book that is a total wild card. That is Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armsfield. This book is suspense. It is literary suspense focuses on themes of love, biology, marine life, and the paranormal. I cannot remember specifically where I saw this book recommended, but it was on my holds list for quite some time, and it seemed to be in a newly discovered wheelhouse, personally for me, of suspense and unfinished business. I read some books this year that I totally loved that suspended paranormal with contemporary or literary fiction and the sense of things being not quite right, but also things being very familiar. So these are books that I wouldn't call science fiction because the plot line is very much grounded in contemporary, you know, common context. However, there are very unusual and unexplainable things happening. One of my favorite books of all time is Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. And then another incredible book I read this year was The Anomaly by Hervé Legere which is very adjacent to Blindness by Jose Saramago, if you've um, ever read that book as well, if you enjoyed those kinds of books. This book is, I think, sort of similar but different to all of those. And it is absolutely, I think, something that I was influenced probably to read on Instagram, but then my friend Jillian O'Keefe, who was just on the episode prior to this, episode 55, which is Cozy Christmas Reads 2022, I was texting with Jillian and she said, hey, have you read this? And I said, no, but I'm looking forward to it. She said, I think you'll really like it. <laughs> and she was totally right. So thank you so much, Jillian. Let me read a bit of the Goodreads synopsis. Miri thinks she's got her wife back when Leah finally returns after a deep sea mission that has ended in catastrophe, but it soon becomes clear that Leah is not the same. 
Whatever happened in that vessel, whatever it was they were supposed to be studying, before they were stranded on the ocean floor, Leah has brought part of it back with her, onto dry land and into their home. Moving through something that only resembles normal life, Miri comes to realize that the life that they had before might be gone. And though Leah is still there, Miri can feel the woman she loves slipping from her grasp. This is a debut novel. I couldn't believe it. It is about love, grief. It is also about biology and what is known and what is unknown in science and how science and magic, there is still an overlapping Venn diagram of those two, the explained and the unexplainable, and how much the ocean holds those secrets for us as a modern society. It's told from two alternating points of view, these two wives, Leah and Miri. Miri is the person who is sort of left behind, and it explores her experience of what that is like, and her experience of continuing to be left behind, even though her wife has returned to their home. Leah is a marine biologist who goes on the submarine mission, and so the chapters are interspersed with Leah's experience in the present. I guess the present. Leah's experience on the submarine is her only plot storyline from the time the submarine goes down to the time the submarine is recovered. And Miri will tell the storyline of the shifting sort of story of their romance, their marriage, and then the storyline of what is happening um, as Leah comes back to uh, dry land. And so it's these shifting narratives. It's these changing storylines. It's this alternation between suspense and what will happen next and also the grief and loss. And you feel things slipping away from Miri. As with Leah, you feel like things are being res- things are being uncovered and discovered. So it's this sense of discovery and loss that happens in this push and pull. There are many things in the book that are not explained. And I find that extremely satisfying because it leaves me as a reader to fill in the blanks with my own imagination. And I can do that in a way that is more suspenseful or less suspenseful. I can do that in a way that is more rational or more irrational. And it allows me to dial up my own magical thinking to consider and understand what might have happened to these characters and why they might have ended up the way that they did. And it also allows me to imagine what they might do after the story ends. This is a book I finished it this morning, so I do have a bit of recency bias for the passion that I'm speaking about it with you. It is also a total wild card of a book. This book is not for everyone. It is extremely weird. Some of the writing will really gut you. There are, again, some of those paragraphs that just really cut to the heart of feeling relatable and feeling seen. You will say, oh my gosh, yes, I I can totally relate to that, even though this is essentially a, a very paranormal plot line by by the measure of the chapters this is the story is very weird and yet the experience of the characters is very relatable and that's just what I loved I love that paradox about it is like weird and relatable all at the same time Uh, there's a lot of love and romance in this book there is also a very much a, a, a sense of of getting to know yourself and losing yourself they have these two unique sort of parallel experiences that are in contrast or, or in sh- shared similarity to one another as well. And, and so it really hit that sweet spot of reading for me. It is a small, short, efficient book. It did not take me very long to read. That being said, it's not exactly a page turner. And there are some really gritty moments in it. 
there are some really unsettling things. I read this book late into the night and I probably tossed and turned a little bit before I fell asleep because it does have that spooky sense. But because it is very much literary fiction and not contemporary fiction, it doesn't go for gratuity. It's not writing spooky for gratuity's sake. It's writing spooky for thoughtful exposition of character development. This is a very character-heavy book. And while the plot is very curious, I would say that the plot drives character development. The plot is a is a method to help you learn more about these characters, not as much an opportunity for you to be propulsed through an ex exciting story. The last thing I'll say about this book is I think that if you really have found that a lot of the bookstagram fiction, a lot of the Reese's book club picks, a lot of the, you know, Jenna's book club picks, um, a lot of the books that are really being pushed out there by publishers in heavy handed ways, some of the young adult fantasy fiction, if, if none of that has really scratched your itch this year, you may as well pick up this book and try it in 2023 because it's a total hard pivot. But it is a pivot into a genre that can be extremely satisfying. And I think if you really haven't found a book that was right for you this year, uh, you might want to try Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armsfield. I have absolutely made a reading soundtrack for this. I will link that in the show notes. A reading soundtrack is my personal way of extending my enjoyment of the book. And I probably will be diving into some podcasts with the interviews with the author um, and some other book reviews. Um, I'm hesitant to read a dissenting opinion of this book, but knowing that that's, that's, uh, that's my mode, let's see if I can find a one-star review. So, uh, this book does not have as many reviews, uh, on Goodreads at the moment. 13,379 ratings, and the overall rating is 3.91. And let's see if we can find a one-star review. Here's a review by Viv. I had high hopes for this book because of the sapphic main characters. Sadly, I was extremely disappointed by this book. It was not interesting. The characters were not developed well and the plot was bad. Oh my god! Like the opposite of what I just said. This is about a married lesbian couple in which one of them, Leah, comes back from a deep sea mission as a completely changed person. Miri has no idea what happened when Leah was down in the depths of the ocean and is seeking to find out what happened. I had so many issues with the book. Let's start off with what bothered me the most, the short chapters and point of view changes. I really like that. I like short chapters, but it didn't work with this story. I found myself getting interested in one character's point of view, and then all of a sudden the narrative changes, as well as the time and location. My brain broke while trying to read this book because it would be two pages of Miri's point of view from the past, then two pages of Leah's point of view in the past, then two pages of Miri's point of view in the present. How am I supposed to get invested in these characters if the narrative is constantly flip-flopping? Yeah, I think that that's an adequate criticism, and I certainly think that if you don't like changes in point of view or shifting timelines, then this book will be uh, a bit of a hang-up for you because um, Viv is right. The chapters are very short, but they're almost episodic. And so I felt like the nature of that, because the two characters' point of views are only Leah and Miri, that you do get grounded in the two voices pretty quickly. And especially because Leah, Leah's point of view only exists in the submarine, um, that helps you. My second gripe is the pacing of this book. I understand trying to make the reader hooked to keep reading, but you have to put some bait on the hook first. I desperately wanted more of Leah's point of view through the story, but her chapters were so short and never elaborated on anything important to the plot. One of her chapters was two pages, 
and one page she just spends talking about her crewmate. I don't care about him. I want to know what happened to you down there. So Viv is making a really good criticism of this book, and I think Julia Armsfield did that on purpose, because Julia wants us to empathize with Miri, the wife who is left behind, because Miri has that exact same sentiment. I don't care. I want to know what happened to you. Help me understand what happened to you. And I think that that frustration is absolutely a real experience of the reader, but it helps us endorse the experience and the actions of Miri as the wife and the other point of view in this book. The ending is is open-ended, is very vague, and I think that that's really clear uh, from the beginning of the book that you're not going to get all the answers. It's really clear that Leah is not going to explain what happened and Miri is not going to get answers, but she's going to have to come to a resolution on her own one way or the other. Okay, that was a one-star review of Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield. And that's my last book. So all in all, I think that we've got six books for you. I'm sure you'll find something that you'll want to read in this pile of books. The first books were This Is How It Always Is by Laurie Frankel. Second book is Vicious by V.E. Schwab. The third book was Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. Uh, Two books that I liked, Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt and Don't Overthink It by Ann Bogle. One bummer was Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr, but I think we've explored a lot of reasons you might want to pick that book up if you haven't read it yet. And the last book I'm obsessed with and is a total wild card is Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield. That wraps up season two of Medium Lady Talks. I have a huge smile on my face if you can't hear it. I'm so grateful for you, for your focus and your attention. It has been an interesting experience as a creator to build something that gets experienced asynchronously. So a lot of the time on Instagram, I can get immediate feedback. I can go live and interact with the community right away. I could post a piece of writing or a reel and experience those likes and those comments right away. But when it comes to the podcast, I create it over this protracted period of time and then you consume it over another protracted period of time. And It's been a really great experience in my own personal development to hone my voice in a way that makes me feel good, that makes me feel most like myself, and isn't immediately reinforced by the feedback of others. It has allowed me to turn inward in a way that has become absolutely crucial to my own space and me living 70% of the time in the place in the world that was made for me. I am so grateful for you and so grateful for your enjoyment and consumption of the podcast in 2022. I hope that you will look forward to season three with me. And as always, you are doing such a good job. I love you dearly and I will talk to you again soon. Bye. Thank you so much for spending time with me today please make sure to reach out and connect on Instagram with me. I can be found at medium.lady over there. If you have any feedback about today's conversation, you can head to the pink tile in my feed for the latest episode and we can always continue the conversation over there. If you like this podcast, please make sure to share a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you love this podcast, please share it on social media. Be sure to tag me so I can personally thank you for growing our community. Finally, be sure to follow this podcast wherever you're listening and make sure your notifications are on. Don't forget, you're doing such a good job. Bye!
I'm recording. What are you doing? You say. Medium lady talks books. Maybe mainly talks books. Winter 2022. Winter 2022. Episode 56. Episode 56. Say, see you next year. See you next year. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> okay.